Now she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa. She's ready to go to the stars. This is the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. It's mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast. Your podcast where you end up in a strange place and all of a sudden look up and realize, wait, how'd you get here? How did you even know this place existed? I don't really care how I know this place existed. I just want to go home. Tonight, we are continuing my report on how Bureau 13 OGL had content from the Second World Sourcebook by Stephen Palmer Peterson added in. It was something that I had done due to the open license that Mr. Peterson put into the Second World Sourcebook that everything in it was product identity. And so I decided when we did Bureau 13 OGL, oh God, 05, 06, to add elements of that setting into Bureau 13 and make it all canon. Uh, This is actually an idea given to me by Bruce about a month ago, and we are going to explore how various entities and personages in the Bureau 13 established canon, how they relate to how the second world is involved. Now, of course, I have done research through Bureau 13 OGL, which, of course, not only brought up the groups and people from the 92 edition, but also ones that had been added in by myself, by Rich, by Bruce, John, what have you. Not only people, but also various organizations worldwide. Because remember, the Second World is a fantasy analog of Earth. And I put it at negative 114 prime, I believe, is what it is in the Fringe catalog. So... Yes, it is the entire Earth, so since they are dimensionally analogous to themselves, for you know, Bureau 13 Germany, if you shift, you're going to end up in Second World Germany. So tonight we're going to explore all the various Bureau 13 people and groups that might have knowledge of the Second World and how that interplays with that. Because I just added that the two worlds were linked and what I had taken from the first part, from Second World Source Book and put into Bureau 13. Tonight we're going to dig a little deeper and get into the, the, the people that you know and, well, like or hate, depending on who they are, in the Bureau 13 canon. As I said, right. I took, uh, yes? Yeah, these are the people that are listed in most editions as the friends, enemies, and in-betweens. Yes. And as I said, a lot of these people... I, when I did the research, it was just a matter of yes, yes, no, yes, yes. Because there are just some people in this 
they would have no reason whatsoever to know that there is a dimensionally coterminous Earth right there, and you just need magic to pierce it, and you're through. I still came up with more than a sizable list of groups and people that would know of the second world and how it would interact with them and how they with it. So we're going to start, first of all, with... Actually, there are a number of super at yeah, supernatural agencies in the Bureau 13 world. And so they, due to where they are and what they might interact with with their second world analogs, that they would apply to this list. Hey, now, Trav. Yeah. What, one point uh, I wanted to, to find out from you, okay, because uh, I've forgotten it since the last time we did this. Uh, yes. The the connection between the second world and 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 Bureau Thirteen Prime, uh, has it always been there, or if it was a, a a rift or a connection that occurred, how long ago did it happen? Oh yes, um, well in the second world source book they mentioned something that at one time the worlds were one world, and then for and and the vector warden, which are the one the wardens that manipulate time and they can teleport and they can actually like sever their own timeline they have sensed that there is five seconds of time which just cannot be accounted for there is a theory that says it was in 1923 like september 21st 1923 that where the two worlds split where you ended up with a relatively mundane world, which would be the Bureau of Thirteen Earth, and then the second world, which is all about fantasy and magic and mythical creatures and whatnot. So, but the 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 sundering, as it's called, that one in that that theory in 1923, it's somewhat doubted because there are so many instances in the second world where cosmic events like that happen, but. For the purposes of the game and the canon, I chose that where in 1923 those two worlds split and the more fantastical world became the one out on the fringe paths. And okay. I think John mentioned something about how you can flip primes and alts. Yeah. We can just yeah, we just we can just hand wave and say at that time it was a flip due to the Termellon, you know, using their technology, and it just all synced up. So <clears throat> okay, I just I just wondered because you know when we talk about different groups that are going to be aware of the second world, then you know it's something that took place in like the 1800s, right after the formation of uh, of, of Bureau Thirteen. Those groups wouldn't know anything about it because it didn't actually exist. Right. Well, right. So that's, that was all. That's why I wanted to do it. Yeah. Oh no, I'm I'm just using the the sundering that they talk about in 1923. Yeah. Because it just seemed to work, and the Bureau had already been well-established by then. Let's see, they came out in the 1860s, so it was already, the Bureau had already been in service for 60 years. Close to that. Yeah, yeah, about 60 years. So that would give them enough time to, and they already had magic by then because they were using a witch and an alchemist by 1889. So... Even even then, yeah, yeah, Josie knows what I'm talking about. She's playing the witch Samantha Poole in my Friday night black powder campaign. So she's basically getting to establish canon with this character, which is a beautiful thing. 
Um, of, all thing, of all things for you to pay attention to, it's my, my faint e and wiggling. Yeah, well, um, but yes, the Bureau would have had enough time with magic, 40 years of having magicians and other magic users, they would sense just, okay, something just happened. And it would have been the Sundering in 1923. So no, let day, me get... What, what day was that again? Well, let me get to the Second World Source book and get to the Sundering here. All right. Because I happened to be up on the Font of All Knowledge, September 1923, and it lists all the occurrences that happen on the every day. Just oh, no, I understand where you're trying to yeah. you're trying to make it real. And it, oh, the Sundering, here we go. I'll reread the, the article from page 10 of the Second World Sourcebook. Uh, some even claim the sundering occurred quite recently, as recent as 1923. Apparently, just under five minutes of time went missing on September 3rd, 1923, at roughly 2130 hour Zulu time. There is no actually scientific means of determining the truth of this claim. However, pretty much all vector wardens of any scale and several other arcane scholars agree that the time just isn't there. Interesting. Uh, let me check because there's something, an interesting event happened on the third. Really? Oh, well played, <laughs> Mr. Peterson. Well played. Well, it happened on the first, but it was a major event on September 1st, but it was, it came up on the third. But yeah, it was in that time frame. There was a massive earthquake in Japan. That could have been, that could be, well, you know how Rich was with real life events. He, he put a a supernatural spin on it to explain it for the purposes of the game. So who knows? You know, something with that earthquake could have been caused by something supernatural. That earthquake could have been a result. And at that time, that was the sundering. Because, you know, in Japan, in the context of your third, there's a lot of magic and supernatural in Japan. So, yeah, it could all be linked up. So, yes, um, trying to get to the list of agencies and whatnot here. I was en route doing that. Ah, here we go. And this in Bureau 13D20 would be on page 147, the supernatural agencies. Bureau 13 is not alone in the never-ending battle against supernatural evil. Other nations also have similar organizations, along with a small number of civilian and amateur groups. Their general level of effectiveness varies, but all are all stalking the night fantastic. So, yeah, these agencies are analogs of the Bureau, but whether they are corporate private, religious, or governmental. It just depends on how they were formed. So I have the list here, and the first one, and they, it goes by countries or continents in alphabetical order. So we have the League, based in Nairobi, Kenya, and it is a private agency, and it's pretty much, uh, this is an old and well-established union of African states who contribute their best to help stop the disruptive evil that calls Africa home. Impeded by revolution, war, and civil war, these Europeans and Africans are a dedicated and very well-armed force that will die in the defense of Africa and its peoples. The Bureau has been in direct contact with them since the 1890s and routinely swaps personnel to and from the League. It is considered a badge of honor to be requested by name to come to League offices in Nairobi. Now, as we mentioned in the previous podcast, Africa does come into play in the Second World because... In Mbanza, in the Congo, that is where the Vector Warden power comes into play. Now, remember, 
There are various areas on the Earth and the entire planet of Mars in the Second World Universe that hold the powers of, and let me get the... Dream, feral flesh, lightning, metal, shadow, vector, gate, rune, tone, and pattern. Vector is in Mbanza, Congo, which means you're going to have a lot of time-altering, wormhole-generating timeline-severing people occasionally popping into Africa, and there may be things following them to Earth. Therefore, the League has their hands full with stuff from the Second World. They would have known about this long before the Bureau came around to deal with them in the 1890s. Yeah. So the League already would have had a wealth of information on the Second World. It's like, yeah, there's this analogous earth in another dimension it's like a fantasy version of this one here and the bureau would be like oh really so the bureau would have probably gotten some information from the league about at the very least these dimension spanning and time spanning creatures that are popping in and out all over central africa as i said they're based in nairobi kenya and uh, Mbanza or Mbanza is probably how it's pronounced. It's probably Swahili or tribal language. I'm mangling it, but they're probably close enough where interaction would have been going on for quite some time. And of course, also there is in the second world Africa a I guess a demonic way a demonic race known as the Wadkinroa. They're a particular type of demon. And so those would be popping in as well. And the Watkin Roa are in the source book. It's not in any supplemental material. There are actually stats for Roa in the back of the SWSB. So, yeah, the League would have had already plenty of interaction with the Second World because of Mbanza Congo with the vector, the power of vector. Now, in Australia, uh, no, because in Australia, it would be the Henderson Group, and it's a professional, private organization. Second World Australia is a dead continent. Now, there was, um, in the beginning of the Second World Sourcebook, there was a insect hive calling itself Stralis. And Stralis gained a hive consciousness. The hive itself gained sentience. And after a while, with a lot of internal fighting and whatnot, it basically ate itself to death. And Second World Australia is barren, and it's got these massive tunnel networks all underneath it. But there's, I mean, Africa was just recently discovered in the Second World. So as far as any analogous interaction between Second World Australia and the Henderson Group, they would know nothing in the Second World. All they would get is secondhand knowledge from many other organizations. But as far as their links between Bureau 13 and Second World, the Henderson Group would not know anything. Um, now, the next one is Canada, and it's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Division 513, based in Montreal, Toronto, and Whitehead. Now, they wouldn't know of the Second World because the wastes, 
which are around the area of the St. Lawrence Seaway, just south. So it's like, what is it, south, eastern Ontario, and northern parts of New England in the Second World due to the incident in Montreal in 1923. Basically, two mage colleges went to war and turned that area into a radioactive, a magically radioactive wasteland. Because it's so dimensionally thin there, you're going to have people popping in to, like, eastern Canada. So RCMP Division 513 would know of the Second World because of these incursions. Also, in the Second World, you have the gnomes that are there. They're all based up in the Arctic Circle. And you know how gnomes are with magic and maybe techno magic. You're going to have dimensional breaches from those gnomes popping in every so often. So I'm pretty sure there's more more than a few Mounties who speak gnomish. Uh, actually, I, I don't know about gnomes and magic. Do you want to you want to expand nope. on that a little uh, bit? Uh, one of the conventions I've always had with gnomes is that they're good with magic. They're good with illusion magic, especially. They're fantastic alchemists and scientists. The convention I usually have with gnomes in most fantasy games that if you're looking for any relatively high technology clockwork and approaching steamwork, go to a gnome. They just, that's always the convention that I've used and that I've seen for a gnomish race in a fantasy game. And in the second world, gnomes just happen to come from the Arctic waste. So, I mean, there might be some in Canada, there might be some in Russia, there might be some in Northern Scandinavia, but because of their magical incursions, because, you know, they're going to make some machines going to go wrong and they're going to end up in, in Bureau 13 Earth. They're going to cross the forge and bing. Okay, this is not home. Oh, God, we did it again. You okay, know, so why why are they coming from the Arctic waste? Is this some reference that's, to when that's, this? That's just where Stephen Palmer Peterson said, okay, how I mentioned that all halflings born yeah. in the second world come from London. All uh-huh. gnomes born in the second world come from the Arctic regions of Earth. All right, so this isn't any kind of a reference to the fact that some people think that the uh, the pole on the Earth once was at a different location, and that the um, and that the that the current poles used to be in a, a temperate climate. Oh, kind of a nice reverse thing on the Hob theory. Oh, I see what you did there. Um, H-A-A-B. Oh, I, it's a I, 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 you lost me. Okay, Josie, there's a book, and my step, my late stepfather told me about it. It's called The Hob Theory. Okay, you know how Earth has its north and south pole, and the, it, it's at a tilt? I forget the exact degree. Well, The yeah. Hob Theory is that it's starting to spin like a top, how it wobbles. And after a while, a long time from now, those poles, what we know as our magnetic poles, are going to be at an equatorial level. Needless to say, that's going to change the, the, the entire meteorological system of this planet. And Bruce was just sort of Bruce was just sort of alluding to like a reverse of that, where at well, one time it yeah, that's, some people think that it was that way, and and then it turned into what we have currently in human history, and that it may turn back to the way it was again in the future. Yeah, and and technically, the poles have moved, but not in the way you think. Tectonic plates, tectonic movements. What was Canadian Shield? Was more temperate many millions of years ago. Oh no, this hop theory is going to act over millions of years. I mean, we're not going to see the effect in our lifetime, but 
but I just remember my, my stepfather telling me of this book that he read like 40 years ago. My stepdad died in 2000, so I mean, it, this was a while right. back. But yeah, Bruce was just alluding to something, and it reminded me of that book, The Hob Theory. So right, and, and my point was is that if the if the gnomes, in fact, were a very ancient race, then they could at one point have arisen in a more temperate area, and then as it became more and more arctic, they could have gone into burrows and the subterranean dwelling because they didn't want to leave their homeland. Okay, right. and now you know, as people go into that area, they're now seeing them come from the north and say, "Oh, they're they're creatures of the north." Well, yes, but not always. Yeah. Okay, I get where you're going at that. Yeah. yeah. Um. The but the gnomes with their penchant for magic and even techno magic because it's not that far to extrapolate that if the gnomes are into like clockwork tech and the gnomes are already exceedingly proficient with magic, especially illusion magic, they're going to do some type of accident. It's going to cause a breach and they'll end up in first world Canada or first world Russia. Through that and incursions from the wastes, which are like in, as I said, southeastern Ontario, southern Quebec, and near, like just south of the St. Lawrence Seaway, so up in like very far northeastern New England, you're going to get breaches, dimensional breaches from the second world to the first world. So RCMP Division 513 will know of the second world because of that. I'm also wondering because you said they're Arctic. You also, you also, besides Russia, you have Greenland. Oh yeah. What what country what country controls Greenland? It escapes me right now. Oh, Denmark. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's see what other one. Ooh. Uh, the next one is the group from I believe China. Yes. People's Liberation Army Group 703, based in Beijing and Shanghai. It's a super-secret faction of the old Red Guard that has occasional contact with Bureau 13. They are ruthless in their treatment of the paranormal and are known to have imprisoned ancient Chinese wizards. Um, hi, Hong Kong in Second World is where the power of motion comes from. You can actually, if you practice to be a motion warden, you can actually do all that cool wuxia martial arts stuff because those are all motion warden bindings. So you know there's going to be... Because the coterminous nature of the first and second worlds, the dimensional barriers are especially thin there. In the areas of the great cities, dimensional breaching seems to be easier because of those great cities. That's why you have a lot of first world influence in like the city of Runes, which is second city New York, or... The City of Dream, which is Second City Los Angeles, or Second World Los Angeles. Second City Los Angeles is a lot funnier, folks, trust me. Yeah, so People's Liberation Army Group 703, they would know because they're going to be dealing with a lot of motion wardens coming back. And most of these people, most wardens end up being first worlders that get exiled and they pop back. Even if it's only for a couple of days, they make their presence known when they come back. And so People's Liberation Army 70, Group 703, they're going to know the second world from that. These motion wardens coming back and doing all the stuff that, wait a minute, didn't we film a, film a movie about this in an alley last week? You know, 
you know, the whole, whole Hong Kong action martial arts movie. They they hire a bunch of bunch of these guys to do you know all the wire work stuff we see in movies. Yeah, and we think it's wire work. Wink, wink. Yeah. The next one would be the Wagner Society in Germany, based in Berlin and Munich, and it's a private organization. Oh, you skip you skip France. Uh, France. I mean, there's no real incursion as far as. I mean, you'd have just as much as incursion as any other. I, as I said, not every entry in here I thought would have a direct. Yeah, I, I not every one. I just looked and as I said, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I just looked. I was like, uh, I don't think so. France would have just as much as any other place. Now, Germany. There's a good reason why uh, the Wagner Society. You got to remember in Second World Germany. Berlin is the power of the metal warden. That's why Second World Europe has that steampunk aesthetic, because warden bindings can be converted into spells. Spells can be converted into magic items. If you have a, a an artificing factory, you can make, like, put them into, like, you know, pillars along roads, and all of a sudden, look, they've got motor cars running around, and they've got steam trains all over Europe which is how first or second world Europe is. Therefore, the Wagner Society, they'd be dealing with a lot of metal wardens coming through, which means you have people who can use guns really well because if you get the fire and steel power with the modern guns enhancement to that binding, remember, the fire and steel binding for metal warden, it allows you to use primitive firearms in a place that you normally wouldn't. If you have the modern, there's fire and steel, there's one other, and then there's modern guns. If you have those, it just means you get like a plus three to attack and damage. So here it is. If you got a metal warden walking around modern day Berlin and he's got a gun in his hand, he's going to be a heck of a lot more deadly with that gun because of the fact that he's got that enhancement. He's actually using the power of the metal warden, which also includes heat and fire, to propel that bullet farther and better. Because I noticed how you, how, you, uh, how we mentioned that the the Wagner Society is using a lot of equipment left over from the Nazis. Well, yeah, they're using stuff from the Thule Society, which was out, which was out looking for you know holy relics. And oh yeah, no, no, no. It's been even in real life. Hitler was a massive fan of the occult, and the Thule Society was a part of our real world Nazi regime. So yeah, I mean. The, the, the Wagner Society is using a lot of their stuff. Oh, let's see, dedicated to the disposal of, leg of legendary creatures and manifestations of pagan gods. They are privately financed. Much of their equipment is left over from the Nazis in World War II. I, I would imagine that, yeah, some of the, if they found the incursion, the Thule Society, or the Thule Society, unfortunately, I've heard it pronounced both ways. Yeah. And they would have, they definitely would have tried tried be out there trying to make some sort of deal with, with the Nazis. I mean, we never covered the barrel during World War Two. I mean, what, what what were they doing? You know? Well, no, that would be a heck of a thought experiment. That would be something that we'd really have to sit down and kind of discuss in the group. For all we know, some of these, some of the, some of the older members of the Wagner Society might have, might have been either children of or grandchildren of members of the Thule, of the Thule Society. But yeah, due to the incursions of metal wardens, the Wagner Society would know of the second world. Okay, let's see. The next one I have, it's for India. 
and it is an independent organization called Shishu. With no direct contact, the Bureau suspects this is an ancient organization of holy men that wander India and the surrounding region in search of evil. They are rumored to be highly affected with legendary and ancient magics. They're in the Mumbai area, what we would uh, what we used to call Bombay. The, the Indians they pronounce it Mumbai. Yeah, and, and having and having played in, I'm playing in a game right now where we actually are dealing with Hindu religions and, and, and mythos. Calling it an organization is, is sort of like calling a, a bunch of cats running around a herd of cats. <laughs> Because it's really it's it, it, it's an organization, yes, and they talk to each other, they communicate. But I would say there's really no one person you can point to and say, yes, he's the head. It's more like it's more of an association than an organization. But okay, uh, Shishu, they would know the second world because the power of flesh is based in Calcutta. Therefore, you would have the leak over from there, and flesh wardens. Folks, they can do some amazing... It's all shape-shifting, and... I mean, you can do things from, oh, look, I can grow fur so I'm not cold, to, oh, look, I can become a quadruped and run twice as fast. Or I can change my shape. Or there's a really cool flesh warden power where you actually, if you get, like, the fresh blood off a victim, and you, you know, you lick it, and you activate the power that you have, you can find out all sorts of things about your opponent which is really good if you're doing like a forensics type thing. But yeah, the flesh, the power of the flesh is based in Calcutta. So Shishu would have a lot of second world knowledge due to flesh wardens coming over. I'm also thinking that that a lot of some of the fakers may actually also be these flesh wardens. Because hey, you know, I'm saying I'm 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 standing on a bed of nails. What you don't realize is that I'm I've moved my skin around such that the nails aren't you know is actually resting on bones. Oh yeah, you can manipulate your own bone flesh. You can move around your organs. You can grow redundant organs where basically. Uh, let's see, what would be the, the equivalent of redundant organs in OGL? Uh, basically, fortification. You can increase your natural armor with the Flesh Warden powers. Oh, no, if you're into, like, manipulating your own body, I think you can do everything sort of like stretching. But the Flesh Warden powers in the Second Ward Sourcebook and the fakirs of, of, Indian, of Indian folklore, oh, no. It explains a lot of their abilities. Oh, I can walk through fire. Yeah, because you just gave yourself fire resistance 10. It's not a normal fire. Hot coals aren't going to hurt you at all. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of incursions of flesh wardens coming in through Calcutta. And Shishu would be very familiar with them there. Next one I have. Uh, DFS. Um Direcion Federal de Seguridad, DFS, a government agency in Mexico, based in Mexico City. Three squads of the Mexican army that eliminate threats to Mexico, generally at odds with Bureau 13 over jurisdiction. Very tough with dealing with the paranormal. Again, this is a case where one of the 12 great powers interacts directly. Now, and again, I mangle this name. The Aztec name for what is now Mexico City. Tecnotitlan? Oh, that hurt my ears. Uh, Technoshalon. Technoshalon, okay. Oh, this is like that Zoshiel, that that, the Iron Fringe where we did that name. Yeah. 
And I found out they named a, a brand of tortilla chips that. Anyways, well, yeah, John and I had the discussion last time we did Iron Fringe. Anyways, Tenochtitlan. Good thing I've already eaten. Mexico City in the second world. The race known as the Halcone, which are like humanoid, jaguar, shape-shifting type creatures, they were the equivalent of the Aztecs. In second world Mexico, there is no Mexico City. The, the Halcones old city is abandoned. Their empire is disbanded. You might have Halcone wandering Mexico and Central America, but they are remnants of a great empire. Tecnotalan is where the power of the gate comes from, as in dimensional travel. If you're going to have incursions from the second to the first world, that's going to be the place where the dimensional barriers are weakest, because the power of the gate does that. Now, the power of the gate, you not only can do dimensional travel and alter, oh, let's see, a good a couple good examples of the gate warden abilities. One, you can mix dimensional traits in a 30-foot radius of the first and second world together. It's called dimensional nexus. So, oh, look, within this 30-foot radius, fire work, firearms and electronics work even though we're in the second world. Another good use of the gate warden abilities, the packed gates. Basically, you create these little gates to various <laughs> interstitial entities, angels, demons, devils, the animal world, various levels of hell, the concept of fire itself. Uh, Josie, remember when Barobi would bring that? Oh, that's exactly yes. what I was thinking. That all can be mimicked not only by spells, but by a gate warden. A gate warden can also do packed gate spells. And the power of the gate is based in Second World Mexico City. So DFS would have a lot of incursions because it's right there. Tecnotitlan and Mexico City are pretty much the same area. So they're going to have dimensional breaches all the time. And the DFS are just, it says they're not kind to the paranormal. That's the point I wanted to bring up. There's a number of these groups that you've already just mentioned that talk about how tough they are on the paranormal. There are some that actually work, you know, with it. But yeah, a lot of these are, a lot of these foreign groups, they don't play around. Yeah, but you're not. I don't think you're really bringing it, you know, home here, Trav. I mean, when they, you say we're tough on the the supernatural, that means you know the only good elf is a dead elf. Yeah, All right. yeah. We're, we're we're talking about search and destroy, elimination. We're not talking about well, let's see if this thing has an ecological need to be here or not. It's more like we're just gonna. We're going to solve the problem in the short term, and we're going to let the next, you know, uh, uh, government or the next the next guy handle anything that might follow. So when you get people making incursions from the second world into these areas, there's going to be a bloodbath in most cases. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, the best mage is a dead mage too. Yeah, I I am I am saying, however, the whole point of this was to. They have knowledge of the second world because of these incursions and, and the analogous links. Now, like the RCMP Division 513, I mean, they're not nasty with it. They have 
close association with Bureau 13. Their biggest problem is they're touchy about they're touchy about issues of jurisdiction, Canadian law. But other than that, they're fair. They will the like the Canadian government agency, which is analogous to the bureau. I would think that they would have you know they'll say okay these guys aren't bad they just took a wrong turn. Oh come them. on, they're Canadian, okay? They're going well, to give them cookies. Go there. I'm not. They're going to give them cookies for crying out loud. Not, <laughs> respect to our Canadian listeners. Um, I'm not. <laughs> we don't want to reinforce stereotypes here. Oh, dude. <laughs> They're very nice to their criminals. Haven't you read any of this stuff on Pinterest? <laughs> Come on, I used to watch Do South all the time. I got the first season on DVD. Anyways, yeah, I, I'm not. I mean, they had one of the biggest um, or one of the greatest um, uh, aces, you know, in, in during World War One. You know, I mean, their guy shot down more guys than anybody. But I'm just saying that as a group, as a country, they. Uh, uh, they, they tend to to be a little bit more easygoing than some of these other places. So no, I'm not saying you know it, that 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 they are treating the supernatural in that same fashion. I was just saying that anytime that you see in the text here about how tough they are on the paranormal, you've got to understand that means that they are not going to be in any way lenient. Uh, they're probably not looking for a complex solution to any to any supernatural incident. And that anybody who comes over from the the uh, uh, from the second world, or if they should be grabbed and thrown into the second world themselves, they're going to you know they're going to be shooting first, asking questions later until they basically have to ask those questions. Yeah, I mean, looking at China, they are ruthless in their treatment of the paranormal. Yeah, it, you, you yeah, know? and we know what they did, and we know what the Chinese government has done to some of their own people. Just imagine what they do to the paranormal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and are known to have imprisoned ancient Chinese wizards. Who's to say some of those wizards aren't motion wardens? And we do apologize to our Chinese listener. Yeah, may not, yeah. Be, able to get, may not be able to get this episode if we said that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh, jeez. Yes, we do apologize if we, we kept you from hearing this episode. Yeah, we're we're all fitting in this hand basket here nicely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it, 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 some of these groups are a little rough on the supernatural, but because warden powers work exceedingly well on Bureau 13 Earth, you're going to have, you know, they're going to have a fight on their hands, especially like a motion warden or a vector warden or even a metal warden, because it's going to suck where you have your, if you're in Russia and you have your Kalashnikov AK-47, and all of a sudden, you've got secondary burns on your hands because he heated the metal. So yeah, fighting a warden, you're in for a battle. If these warden, because wardens have such wide and varied powers, even within their own particular force, that one warden of any type could take on several armed men and do a quite a bit of damage, depending on their power set. I have I do have one more here as far as international agencies, and that would be based in Aberdeen, Cardiff, Liverpool, and London. MI thir- or M13, otherwise known colloquially as the Farm. Now the Farm and the Bureau have had a long-standing relationship for decades. This is an ultra most secret for the King's Eyes only unit of the British Secret Service 
a division of MI5 Military Intelligence in New Scotland Yard. Their mission is to protect the United Kingdom from internal and external paranormal threats. Maintains a close link with Bureau 13 and the Henderson Group, which is in Australia. They, hey, London, the power of shadow. They're going to have more than a few dark-skinned halflings popping in now and then. And probably many of them work with the farm. And please, when you go to Cardiff, don't stand in that one spot. You know it's you know what spot we're talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. Because unfortunately, that's a, you know for some reason when they did the series, you know, did the did the TV, TV series. Oh, now I can't remember its name now. With Captain Jack Harkness and Torchwood, Torchwood, they were like oh two blocks over from the actual place you don't want to stand. Ah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the United Kingdom because of. They're linked to Second World London. Oh, yeah, they're going to have that. They're going to know about the Second World very much so. And it probably would have been a very long standing. Well, they're saying for the king's eyes only. That's the thing with M13. Which king? How long has M has M13 been in existence? Well, it wouldn't be, well, it wouldn't have been called M13 because M13 would be a recent Edwardian era naming convention. So before that, so before that, it would be the Ministry of whatever. Okay, so M13, that Edwardian, that would have been post-Victorian, so early 20th century. Yep. So that means M M13 has been around for a hundred years. Then, even then, a hundred a hundred years of 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 possible interdimensional excursions from second world britain oh no they've got they've got incredible amounts of knowledge on the second world then but trav a lot of these agencies like these these M, M, mi6 whatever these various agencies were originally pre-ministries so it's it's quite possible m13 was a ministry before it became before it got the, the number designation well, because it's uh, the British Secret Service, the Division of MI5, and New Scotland Yard. So it's all three of those agencies together currently make up the farm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's the farm. But yeah, it's quite possible that they are, in fact, an older service. If all we know, they may have been, they may have been formed by, by King George I, for all we know. Oh, Revolutionary War, the madness of King George. No, no, he wasn't first. He was, uh, King, he was King, what, King George III. Ah, we're talking pre. We're talking oh, probably before. Uh, not Elizabeth. Uh, somewhere it's one of the Georges. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the agencies as far as international agencies that would have access to second world knowledge, because of a lot of it's due to proximity to uh, one of the great cities that hold one of the warden powers as a focal point. Now, from this point, we're going to be dealing with people either in the Bureau or involved with the Bureau, either in a good, neutral, or bad way. Oh, Trav, I got one question, though. Uh, is, is, there a, is there anything related to, well, where the Vatican is? Rome. Oh, 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 I didn't. I totally forgot about that. Thank you, John. Yes, the Second World, Vatican, the Second World Catholic Church is based in Rome. And in the Second World Source book, you have your list of favors you can do. You can gain Second World Vatican Library access, which means the Vatican would have that crossover as well. 
Now, they're not a great city. There's no warden power base there. But the Second World Vatican, with a number of clerics that can do plane shift, oh no, the Vatican knows. Thank you, John, for bringing that up. Um, yeah, they would have massive amounts of interaction on that level. Don't be surprised if Pope Francis hasn't been talking to his counterpart on the other side who may be a half-elf, you know. Mm-hmm. And female. That too, yeah. Hey. Yeah. And I can, I can see the Lending Library. Um, yeah, yeah, the new guy in the, in the, in the, uh, in, in uh, our, 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 in the Bureau's uh, Vatican Library. And it's only, it's only this elf going there. Oh yes, I'm, I'm brother, I'm brother, brother Mor- Moradin. I'm here to borrow some, borrow a book we don't actually have in our library. And he, the Vatican Library is a copy of pretty much every th- every written thing ever made. Since the 17th century, they've made a print of collecting a, r- a point of collecting originals or copies of tests from Asia and the Americas. This means that you can find any spell you want in the library. Yeah, it's a matter of um, you can also pretty much find any research information you want in the library. But there's so much of it that the cataloging is completely broken down, and you take a minus two penalty on research skill checks. But still, yeah, the Vatican Library access that refers to the Second World Vatican. Uh, I wonder if there's a little L space in there as well. A little what? Oh, uh, it's from Terry Pratchett. He says all libraries are connected to each other some somehow, some way. Oh, I I mean you could do that if you want, but I mean the Vatican. I wouldn't. Yeah. You know, I mean if you want, yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you want, yeah. Now I would say that all magical libraries might be connected to each other as long as the the ones who own them don't dislike each other. Yeah. And of course, this one, you have to make sure you bring a big bunch of bananas when you come visit. Bananas. And that reference escapes me. What is that, John? Oh, that's the librarian from the, from the, uh, the, the library in the unseen, in the unseen university. The wizard, the wizards, the, the wizard, wizarding university in Ankh-Morpork in, in, on Discworld. Oh, okay. He's, he used to be human. He's now a um, 300-pound orangutan. Oh, yeah, yeah. My roommate has read the Discworld things, and he told me about that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah, and, don't be surpri- and, don't, and don't be surprised if you have a magic library, or an orangutan will show up to grab something you have. Yeah. And I'm reminded of the scene in Doctor Strange where Wong is there at his desk, and Stephen Strange is producing the sling ring. Grab a book. Grab a book. Wong turns around, grabs the book that's right in front of him. <laughs> no, John, thank you for bringing that up about the Vatican. That totally, that that didn't, that didn't click until just now. That was another thing of, oh, yeah, right, that's that. Yeah. Well, so you're going to start with the friends and work our way to the enemies? Yeah, or? yeah, might as well just go along that way. Um, okay, so this at this point now we're at the it'd be page one fifty of Bureau thirteen OGL where we start doing the friends, neutrals, and enemies of Bureau thirteen who would have knowledge of the second world in one way or another, and started going here. 
Oh dear. Okay, I, I'm going to pull one because you're probably because you are not going to probably pull him because he he probably has written all the all the all the treaties and and properly handling all stuff from, from the second world. Mike Bonkowski. Bonkowski. Oh yes. <laughs> uh, let let's refresh their memory on who Mike Bonkowski is there, John, since that was your edition. Mike Bonkowski is a real person. He you, he well he's retired now, but he used to work for OSHA. And I remember you know, we used to game together, and I remember one time asking him, so how's OSHA deal with black projects? And he says, well, basically you get tagged and you get told you'll be working on this project and you make sure you got the proper clearance and all this stuff, and then basically you end up reporting to a special agency in OSHA. So, yeah, technically there's an OSHA agency that deals with Bureau 13, but they don't talk to anybody. They, everything there is everything there is ultra-top secret. <sighs> But yeah, he's he's he, he was a, he, you know Mike Bonkowski, agent of of, of OSHA, and he basically is there making writing OSHA rules for handling various things like you know potions and magical artifacts and, and demonic ichor all over the floor. Okay, you're gonna need that's yeah. not gonna take some oil dry. You need to get some good stuff here. Do not put your teammates in the bag in this kind of bag of holding because it'll just kill them. Yeah. Yes. Well, funny yes. here, it says now sporting a security clearance that equals General McAdams. Who runs the X teams? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who's the? Uh, what's the thermal viscosity of uh, uh, ectoplasm? <laughs> I can quote you and give you the regs and handling it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But no, I I thought about that and I was like, no, no, no. But I also thought if anybody's going to try to slip Mike Bonkowski into this list, it would be John, the guy that Adam made as a character. Um. My first one was Sarah E. Bunker. Now, this is someone I know. This is someone I've known probably for, oh, God, 20 years now. And she pretty much, New Hampshire, or like New England is her area. And the whole point is, reclusive artist who supplies the Bureau with legend lore about New England. Again, New England is where the wastes are. That radi magically radioactive wasteland around the St. Lawrence Seaway. Sarah would have all sorts of knowledge of incursions coming in from there. And also, Sarah had been there one time. She went to the city of Varoons with Team Candlestick. This is stuff that I wanted to work in there, and I just couldn't. It might do it at a future time. So Sarah does have knowledge of the second world. Especially in the New England, so I mean, she'd know a little bit about like Lord Trespass and the Bed Kayat, and not a, a little bit about the various power vacuum and players in the City of Runes. But yeah, Sarah would definitely know just by her living in the New England area up in Maine and dealing with Ved, the Ved Kayat near Nova Scotia and incursions from the way so sarah would definitely know these things and she just yeah just due to proximity she sort of got drawn in to all of this and it's like i mean sarah in real life is a very reclusive young woman i have very little contact with her these days it's like she's become more of a shrinking violet but yeah she definitely would have knowledge of the second world due to proximity um of course the next one well yeah I did, for obvious reasons. They would know about the second world from the fringe where the aspect. They visited out on the fringe paths, negative 114 prime, the Night Watch page. 
they would know and they would have, you know, come in through that way. So they would know about all around the world. They may not just know about a particular region. They would have done research on all eight of the portals and where they all hit. Like one hits near Osaka, Japan. One is in near the, the Isle of Man near England. Um, and I'm blanking on the other ones right now. But yeah, they uh, Paris, France is another one. So yeah, I de- would definitely know about the second world, but not from the Bureau 13 standpoint, but from their accessing in on the fringe paths. And of course, you know, Shay Talbot would then know about it. And of course, for the um, that was a character I made specifically through playtesting. She is that former Victorian Earth citizen who got involved with IDET and then went to Earth Prime and then realized I can make my own meal ticket by being like a liaison once she got to Bureau 13 Earth. And John and I sort of made a canon that the adventure that dealing with Bureau 13 World Santa is where she said, oh no, I'm here to stay. And since then, she is now that interdimensional expert. Anything, anything interdimensional excursion, you go to Colonel Talbot. And I would imagine she, since we have these places where you can slip from one, from, from Bureau 13 Earth to the second world, I could imagine there are a few, a few people in IDIC going, you know, that's a shortcut. We bypass a hundred and we bypass a hundred and so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We discussed that in the last podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. If you could do that. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. IDIC in a heartbeat because all they need to do is go through a fringe portal. Get I don't to- know about a heartbeat. <laughs> well, okay. Relatively. I mean, you have to, if you're going from Earth Prime, you still got to travel the 13, you know, nodes over to, you know, 14 because you have to go down to the Prime, you know, 15 up to the Alt, over to the Alt, you know, down to the Prime. So, and then you have to travel on there to wherever you're going to do the the phase over to there. So, uh, you know, it, it depending upon how fast you can travel on the fringe pass, at which point in the, in the history we're talking about. It okay. might, you know, it might actually be a, a wash up, but I'm sure it's a lot more scenic yeah. to do it this way. Yeah, the, 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 but yeah, I did, as they're learning about the second world, and they would learn, as I said, all over because they'd be doing research around all the portals. If they want to get home, they just get to a, a seven office, Habrex seven, basically Bureau 13 on, on the second world. They take a shift gate, boom, they're back. They're back on uh, Bureau 13 Earth, and then from there, the fringe path's back to Earth Prime. So, yeah, I de- would definitely have knowledge. So we have, oh, yes, Mama Lasagna. Now, it's funny because this woman is my stock supervisor, and I decided to add her to the Team Candlestick canon back when I wrote these books. When I first put her into Bureau 13 OGL, she was just sort of like, yeah, she knew Team Candlestick, but she wasn't involved. She has since become a full-fledged member. So she knows about Team Candlestick because she's been there. She's been to the Second World with Team Candlestick. And so, yeah, she definitely has firsthand knowledge of the City of Runes. Um, I, and this isn't in the Second World source book. This is stuff that I came up with. And I kind of actually tried to get a correspondence going with Steve Peterson about that. 
because I told him, I live in the Detroit area. I'm, I'm a big fan of your work. I'm putting it into Bureau 13 OGL. And he's like, oh, Bureau 13, you know, it's the whole thing. That game is still out there. You know, this was back in about 10 years ago. Um, I wanted to make like how Detroit is the motor city, have Second World Detroit, the clockwork city, where winter gnomes would be coming from the north. And so they would be help building up Second World Detroit's uh, technological infrastructure. Because remember, if you read about the war between Berlin and Russia or Berlin and Tokyo, massive amounts of wheat and other supplies are going from America to fund Second World Europe. Who's to say that there wouldn't be also other types of devices and technologies being made and sent? So I had made Detroit that area. Well, because Lasagna's from this area, you know, southeastern Michigan she would also know of Second World Detroit because she's a by now she's a bureau agent. She would have access to, you know, slip through the forge easily along with the rest of Team Candlestick. So, yeah, I definitely said, oh, yeah, she, yeah, so Sone, as I call her, short for lasagna. Oh, Sone would know. Now, this one, I wrote this for two people. The first one is Dr. Ray Robertson. How would he know? Because he's Dr. Ray Robertson. He would know from more of a cosmological standpoint. Because I think Bruce and John would agree. Yeah, Ray Robertson's an engineer. He also is probably a damn good physicist. So he would know of the second world, not so much on a magical level, because Ray doesn't deal with magic from what I've read and from what I've known of the character for the past 20 years. Ray Robertson would know... I mean, he's in San Jose, California, so I mean, he's close to L.A., which would bleed over into Second World Los Angeles. But as I said, he is all about the tech. So if he knows anything about the Second World, it's just because he's Ray Robertson. He has access to all the Bureau files. He can call up anything. Oh, God. And, John, what's the name of his clone daughter? Oh, I, you know, I, I keep forgetting. Bruce, you know where her name is, right? Is it Ramona? Probably. I, I really have forgotten at this point. I haven't, you know. Yeah. Oh, so he and Ramona can just sit there and research up Second World Files from their lab in San Jose. But yeah, no, with how high a, a security clearance Ray Robertson has with the Bureau, oh no, he'd know about the Second World, but... It wouldn't, as I said, wouldn't be from a magical standpoint because he doesn't do magic. He's all about the tech. He would deduce it. He would deduce it from the effects of, you know, of taking measurements and the various readings that he does and the various work it does. The the fact that you have this supernatural um, uh, incursion, this basically this ginormous warp that is the second world in conjunction with the earth, you know, primary world would be, a, you know, it would affect measurements and, and readings and things on a um, micro and macroscopic level that he'd, the only, it'd be like, how do you know that Pluto, was, how did they know that Pluto was there? Well, they saw that other things were happening and they, the only way they could account for it was the fact is that it had to be a small mass out that far that was affecting the orbits of the other planets. Ray would make that kind of deduction. Yeah, and then they would contact teams in the local area and say, "Hey, put these things on your vehicles, uh, and then return them later when you get back." 
you know, you're wondering, what is this thing? Don't worry, it won't blow up. Maybe, yeah. Much, much. Won't blow much. up much. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small explosion. You don't feel it as much. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Ray Robertson, he would know, and I, that's why I wrote. Knows because he's Dr. Ray Robertson. With the level of clearance he has with the Bureau and his level of skill and his skill set, he would know about the second world. It's just not the way everybody else knows. Not due to magic, but due to science and tech. He would have a massive, and what did I give him for knowledge physical sciences? A plus 12 and a knowledge tech plus 22. Yeah, he would know. He would make devices that could um, detect dimensional breaches and whatnot. And so it's like, oh, yeah, those reading. Yep, second world. Here we go again. So, all right. The next one, <clears throat> the Sheffer family. Who? Yeah. Anybody else want to feel this one? <laughs> Actually, I was, I, I, I'm wondering why you didn't include General McAdams. Because he's probably had to deal with some of the more, well, militaristic incursions. Yeah, General Thomas McAdams. Pretty much he is the leader of the X teams. Again, the X team, you have three levels of teams in the Bureau. You got your normal traveling Bureau teams, like Team Fremont and... Yeah, Team Fremont's a regional team. Then you got the uh, tra- then you got the uh, uh, roaming teams like uh, Team Candlestick, am I correct? Well, Team Candlestick, they roam, but they're still in the Michigan area. It's not like they're set in one city. Well, but they're not, they're not a regional team? Yeah, they are. They're they're pretty much the state team, Michigan. Well, they're yeah, they're a regional team. They have a base there, and you know they may still roam in that area, but they're they're they they primarily handle things in their area and provide ongoing support for the other roving teams that aren't linked to a geographical area. And let's just put one out from the books, Team Tuna Fish. Yeah, there you go. The one from the Nick Pilata cannon. Yes. Um, then you have the X teams. Now, the X teams are the ones, they have the hardware. They have the heavy hitters. They are the guys that will be coming in with law rockets and flamethrowers and just massive amounts of, of hardware to just obliterate the supernatural. It's like, okay, we've tried everything. This thing's about ready to attack. Call McAdams. Then we have the Omega teams. Now, technically, Team Candlestick is an Omega team. Because they've got the the Enchanty Star Strip that they found on one of their space adventures, the Seventh Wall of Thursday. They're the ones that Omega teams are damn near superhero because they've augmented themselves to deal with Omega level threats. Again, Omega level threats are the ones that if this goes off, the Bureau would have to be outed to stop it because it's a world, a potentially world ending threat. Adams is in that middle part. He's the X team level. He would know if he were to know, he would know just to, to, yeah, we had a pattern warden coming in, you know, from second world Mars chasing a void dragon and it ended up in Poughkeepsie. Yeah. I just sent an X team there about a year ago. Some idiot and some idiot worked in a bunch of mechanic, mechanical, you know, uh, warriors in in the middle of Poughkeepsie, in the middle of Ypsilanti. Yeah. 
Oh, please. EMU would just see that as like Best of Fools in Grand Rapids. That's nothing. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Best of Fools is like a giant puppet marionette parade. My former roommate is involved with it. He's a he's an amateur puppeteer. Anyways, but yeah, at McAdams, yeah, you're right. He, I guess he would know. I mean, he wouldn't know much about the second world, but he would know at least of its existence because of things popping in and him having to send an X team to deal with it. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.